Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast here in Barcelona Airport after the opening round of the 2021 World Superbike Championship. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie here and Gordo, we've been able to get back to action and it's been great to have World Superbikes back on track. First time in seven months. Oh, it's been too long. Uh, didn't know what to do myself at home. Uh, it's fantastic. We've all had to jump through lots and lots of hoops to get here um, from the organisers onwards. Uh, but it was worth it. That was a great first weekend. We had three total different days. Um, yeah, I think we, all in all, we couldn't really last for much more coming back after all this time off. Yeah, it was something special as well. Obviously, we had wet conditions, we had dry conditions, we had intermediate conditions, we had hot conditions, we had cool conditions. It was pretty much the mixed bag of everything that you want to be able to throw at these guys. Absolutely. And we were kind of looking at a regular weekend a while before it, and then all of a sudden the weather started changing, and that just threw curveballs everywhere. And you saw you know, riders making real gains because they took a gamble. And other riders made a real loss. And then in race two, some of those same riders had the absolute opposite experience. So the best thing about it was, what was going to happen next? And you never quite knew. And any racing like that is what you want to go and watch and what you want to watch on TV. What was great actually was, because obviously we're used to Phillip Island as round one. We always get good racing in Phillip Island. This weekend we go to Aragon and then suddenly you kick off with three great races. And then in the support classes as well, we had four great races. That was the difficulty. I wrote a column about this thinking, mm, is it going to be, Phillip Island always produces such great racing because it almost has to because people have to save their tyres. So they all stay together till near the end. And I thought, well, Aragon's going to be good, but maybe somebody's going to go. And yes, we had leaders and stuff, but all the way through we had fights and changes and we did have a, almost as thrill on a weekend as you'd, you would have at Phillip Island. Everybody comes from Phillip Island, first race of the year, usually before any other real motorsports got moving, raving about World Superbike. And this weekend, we at least had a really, really good weekend to get our teeth into and hopefully it looked as good on TV as it was where we were. Obviously enough as well, Gordon, this was a weekend where you did a relatively new bike from Kawasaki. It looked like a whole new bike whenever we spent the winter hearing about an extra five, 600 revs. Ducati didn't make big steps forward. That actually seemed to be a big bone of contention as the weekend went on. There was lots of rumours. Chaz Davis, Scott Redding were pretty upset that they turned up pretty much with the exact same spec as Estoril at the end of last year. Kawasaki's clearly made a step forward. Coming into the weekend, they didn't get the extra revs, but they were able to still keep the power where they had found the improvements. Yeah, one of the most weird aspects of the weekend was finding out shortly before that there wouldn't be any more revs for the Kawasaki, which I think everybody except the organisers when they read the rules realised was going to happen. We all thought it was going to happen, and it didn't. But they'd probably been testing that way all winter. So they suddenly had to go back to where they were, but with other aspects. There's other aspects of the bike that are new other than the higher engine revs. So they were kind of working it out as they went on from Friday because they probably hadn't tested the way things ended out being with the rules being laid down the way they were. So that was kind of a a remarkable thing to to do the turnaround. But obviously the Kawasaki definitely seems a bit better given that not just Jonathan had a good weekend, but his teammate as well. And that's always been the litmus. If the Kawasaki is really good, the teammate does really well. If the bike's not so good or or not as competitive as others, the the second rider's toiling a bit. And obviously they've made some step forward, even amongst all the weather and everything else. If we're looking at trends, the Kawasaki seems to be better. Um, and the Ducati, well, we saw one result based on tyre choice and weather conditions and another, one positive, one negative. So I think maybe we'll need to see how we next race, the race after the wear, the relative gap is between those two bikes, which have traditionally been the leading ones for the last couple of years. Obviously enough as well, we saw Yamaha has been able to make another step, little incremental steps here on the year with Yamaha, but clearly they've made 
pretty good progress over the last few years. Aragon always a tough track for them. Aragon always probably top rack's worst track of the year. And he was able to come away with fastest lap in practice. He was able to be fast all the way through the races as well. Yeah, um, I think that many riders having that much input and Yamaha with all his experience, as long as all the riders are saying the same things, they then think, okay, well, that's the direction we have to move in. Um, and Gerloff at the podium and, and so on. So it, it's, yeah, the, the Yamaha is moving forward. The rules have definitely, and the, the changes and the modifications they made are definitely bringing everybody closer to the same ballpark. But yeah, there's still work to do for everybody to, to try and beat the, the other person. Yamaha have done a good job with enough riders to make a difference to the development programme. That's how I, I see it. There's so many good riders giving good feedback. They're moving forward. Obviously enough as well, this was a weekend where we were able to see some flashes from Honda, but nothing really concrete. When you talk to a lot of the riders, a lot of them have said to me that they actually feel that the Honda has the potential to be the best bike on the grid, but they're just not making the most of it right now. Absolutely, and I was slightly disappointed, I have to say. I expected more because they had the winter that they didn't get to have because of COVID last year, I understand very well. But they have tested more this year. They've had a lot of the a lot of parts keep talking about how many changes they've made. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't seem to really transfer into races. Um, so I, I, was, I was looking that Honda would be better um, at this round, especially given it's got a really big straight and so on. Um, yeah, I was a little disappointed in the Honda thing. I hope we see more from it soon. But as we've, we've been saying for a while now, the Honda's got huge potential. But it didn't happen at this round. I really hope it happens the rest of the year because that was the one missing link. We had four really competitive manufacturers this weekend. But Honda were kind of just a bit behind again. So hopefully that'll turn around. Let's kick off talking about Kawasaki then. Because this was a weekend, Jonathan Ray wins the race one, he wins the Super Bowl race, finishes second in race two. Alex Lowe's obviously three podiums as well. There was a time when Aragon was seen as the track where Johnny was able to get podiums. I think he's had 21 in a row now or something like that at the track. But this is probably where we saw a big step forward where they were suddenly able to set the pace and dominate. The start of race one was a massive surprise to everyone. I think Scott Redding even said that whenever he saw Ray and Lowe's taken off into the distance, he just assumed they were on the SCX tyre, the Super Bowl race tyre, and instead they were actually on a harder race tyre, the same one as Scott Redding. Yeah, um, I think there has been a lot of detail changes to that bike and... Um, even though they had to modify things at the last minute because of the revs, all those little differences, the secret to their success over the last few years is incremental changes, all positive. They seem to not bring negative changes to the racetrack come race day. Um, and both riders were just gone. I mean, that first race was a surprise, especially here with such a big straight. You would think that people would stay with them and catch them and, uh, on the straight more than ever. But the Kawasaki seems it's definitely slower. It's not as fast as the other bikes in a straight line. But everywhere else in the track, it seemed to be working well for both top riders. And the one thing for it is, Gordo, as well, like we saw that they exit onto that back straight really well. The mechanical grip from the Kawasaki was a big strong point from this weekend. It was interesting, especially with Chaz. It looked like he was just struggling a little bit as he rolled onto that back straight. And that obviously cost him his initial acceleration where the Kawasaki's strong, so it gets to its top speed a little bit quicker than the Ducati. Even though the Ducati's got the extra revs, extra power, it just didn't quite have enough to be able to stretch its legs. It looks like it's kind of been pegged back a little bit, but the taller riders, the heavier riders like Redding and Davis, they never really had that big Alvaro Bautista-sized advantage. Yes, absolutely. That is a big difference. I think we now know for sure 
um, after all the evidence of last year and the early evidence of this year, that the size of the rider makes a difference, especially maybe even more so when you've got a very powerful high revving bike. So that was, uh, I think that's been proved again. Um, but I think, again, all the tools are there in that Ducati. Everything's ready. Everything's in that bike, ready to go. But it does have to be set up absolutely perfectly. And maybe that can't be done everywhere. I think that's the, that's their issue. Um, and again, power's great if you can control it. On the way in, through the corner, and on the way out. And a lot of your top speed at any track is how well you get out the last corner. And because of Aragon, you've got that kind of long corner where you're winding up. It's not that a much faster, higher revving bike has got an advantage in every single gear from first through to sixth. You've you've only got you're coming out kind of already in gears, so you're not nicking every time. And that Kawasaki got off the corner well, went through the gears well, and as you say, probably got to its top speed quicker than it did before. Obviously, enough as well, Gordo. Estoril was really tough for Kawasaki last year. We go there next week. That's probably going to be one of the big acid tests for them for where this new bike really does stack up. Yes, and it is a totally different track. Um, they haven't tested there. It's going to be, as you say, a, a real test to see whether the, the, there's, there's a bigger advantage there. But when you concentrate your development on getting all aspects of the bike working, in theory you should be able to work quite well everywhere. Um, and the two Kawasaki guys were pretty confident when they left, they weren't thinking, oh, well, you know, they weren't talking about raining things in. They, they were quite keen to get to Estoril, not just because they had a good weekend here. I think they think, oh, maybe because this and this and this and the things they won't tell me, you and anybody else about the bike are better than they were last year. So maybe they're looking at it as, you know, well, we could maybe reduce the gap. It might not be the best bike there, but I think they would reduce the gap that they, they kind of obviously had last year. Johnny's obviously, it's no surprise whenever he's able to win races, able to pick up his 100th win this weekend as well. That's a hell of a milestone for him to be able to do way out in front of anyone else in the history of the championship. You know, there's not really any doubt about where Johnny stacks up in terms of the best superbike riders of all time. But to be able to hit that mark, it clearly clearly meant a lot to him and meant a lot to Kawasaki, meant a lot also pretty much to the championship as well. Yes, I mean, um, obviously Johnny does a lot of winning, which means other people don't. So there's always that kind of, you know... Some people, even some of the people that made comments on the special video they made were saying, give somebody else a chance, Johnny. But Johnny and his team and Kawasaki are just doing all the things right. There's no, I keep saying it, there's no gaps, there's no holes, there's no obvious problem. Everything works all the time. And Johnny, no matter what you throw at him, even Garrett Gerloff threw himself at him a little bit at the weekend and Johnny didn't even crash. He ran off track, came back on and finished second, if I remember properly. I mean, come on. He's whatever the championship throws at him he seems to be able to deal with on the bike his crew chief keeps talking about that all the time he brings the best bike he can but he said the amount of times that Johnny makes a difference and for 22 laps and if his tyre starts going off he'll he'll be aware of that he won't start doing stuff he won't get frustrated he'll just think his way through the problem and say okay well maybe I can't win today I'll finish second and that's how you get 100 wins it's, and, and no it's, it's remarkable and he's not on a bike that is like a factory Honda uh, or a MV Augusta that Agostini had that was way better than everybody else except his teammate. It's just not the case. There's, there's other competitive bikes that win all the same. Yeah, and it's not like it was in World Supers in the 90s where the tyres made a big difference. You had to be on the right bike. You had to be on the right tyres at different places. And I think that really the, the, the biggest thing for Johnny is it's, it's that he's been up against Tom Sykes, a world champion. He's been up against Leon Aslam and Alex Lowe's, two British champions. 
it's not like he's been up against bad riders as his teammate and he's still always been able to come out on top. He's just got that consistency in the garage, consistency in his side of the pits. And that makes a big difference for him. We always talk about that. Consistency is usually something that's this kind of backhanded compliment usually. Oh, he's quite consistent. But the difference between Johnny and everybody else is consistency at 100%. Sometimes needs 101, sometimes 99. But it just, there's, there's virtually nowhere where he isn't that, that level. You know, I could be consistent if he gave me Johnny's bike 50 seconds slower than him. But he's doing that, those lap times other people can't even reach once for 22 laps. That's consistency at pace, at the winning pace. That's the difference. Nobody else can do that. They can't do it with a bike. The rider can do it. Everybody else has got one issue missing. And that's all you need when you get somebody as good as Johnny to, to race against. It was good this weekend though that we saw Alex Lowe's have three podiums and take it to Johnny in each of the races at different stages. Yeah, it was great. And he's he's clearly up for it. He, we weren't sure how he was going to come out the winter after a shoulder injury. We all know from lots of riders, especially Marquez over the GP, how shoulder injuries can go. Um, and Alex is clearly over it enough to fight right at the front for three full superbike races. Um, I was very impressed with it all. Um, he, he's going about his business, he's smiling, he's happy. And most of all, he's performing. He seems to have, last year, I think things didn't turn out the way he wanted. It was a bit difficult. But he's obviously gone away in the winter, and despite this injury, he's uh, remapped himself and come out the way he has. Now, I don't think Alice is going to be as good at every track through the year as Jonathan is, because maybe nobody is. But that was a pretty good start at a track that he himself said, I think he's only had one podium on before, in a Yamaha a while ago. So if he can do that here, at a track he doesn't particularly like, maybe that's transferable everywhere. So yeah, watch this space with him. I thought it was really good that we actually saw Alex make three good starts as well because last year that was one of the big issues. Couldn't get off the line consistently. Looks like they've been able to find a little bit of a balance now for him to be able to do that a little little bit easier now. If he's able to make consistent good starts, it gives him a good chance. We know that whenever he's got a bike underneath him that he wants, he's usually one of the smoother riders out there. Doesn't tend to make too many mistakes anymore. And Estoril, like I said, it's going to be the real test for Kawasaki. It's also going to be a real test for Alex. Yes, if he can carry on the way he was there at this racetrack, so when we go to SRL, then we know we've got another potential top three guy like he has been before. Um, he's now settled into Kawasaki. I think, for, again, from what his comments were after the race yesterday, speaking to him in the big media scrum afterwards, it seems that he may be expected a bit more from the Kawasaki. From when he left Yamaha, he thought maybe just everywhere it's got a little bit more or nine things more than out of ten. Um, but as he said, he thinks that difference is really just Johnny and the experience of the setup that those guys have got. Um, but it does have advantages, and he now seems to be keying into them and getting rid of, with his team, getting rid of all the disadvantages of the right. And again, he's had to modify his riding style a little bit, and the team have had to bring the bike towards him a little bit. If the season-long answer to all that is what he did yesterday, well, he's going to be fine this year. It's obviously pretty busy here in Barcelona Airport. It was a busy... Busy weekend for everyone as well, as well, trying to figure out the tyres. We've also got an interview with Giorgio Barbia from Pirelli. But uh, before we do that, we'll just talk a little bit about the challenge that everyone faced. This was a weekend where you needed to be able to make pretty much all of your tyres work. In the first race, we saw some of the riders, bigger riders like Chaz Davis, using the SCX tyre, the 10-lap Superpole tyre. Obviously, Scott Redding has been very vocal about his complaints about the big riders being unable to use the X tyre. And even in the rider briefing before the start of the weekend, he was still calling out for that tyre to be banned from use in the longer feature yeah, length races. he wasn't happy. Wasn't happy, but it also showed a big 
bone of contention within Ducati because Michael Rubin Rinaldi apparently stood up immediately and said, hang on a second, in the wet conditions, bigger riders have an advantage. So maybe we need to have a special tyre for the smaller riders, the lighter riders in the wet. And then obviously other riders then pipe up about it. I think uh, by all accounts Tom Sykes was quite willing to stick an oar in and just stir things up a little bit but it does just show there's the tension there within Ducati. Yes and that was going to be a factor of there was a lot of decisions and discussions last year to be made were they going to keep Chaz another year was it going to be better for the overall championship push to keep Chaz and part of that reason is literally they're more or less the same size height weight so the setup everything else can be similar now you've got a guy who's very small who is coming into the factory team in the first time, uh, but can communicate completely in Italian with the whole team. So therefore, maybe his ideas get more traction because they can understand all the nuances of what he's saying to them. So, yeah, that's going to be a thrilling one this year. And then Scott made no secret at the end of last year. He wanted Chaz to stay, and now he's got Ronaldo. So I, I'm sure they get on fine, but I think on track there's going to be a lot of differentials this year, whereas last year it seemed that they both wanted the same things in more or less the same way etc. So there's going to be that to do. The tyres? Well, we've got a choice of tyres. Uh, well, the X tyre was always, everybody just said, that is not going to work. Uh, no, it's just not going to happen. And then they've developed a bit and played with it a bit, and all of a sudden even the big riders are thinking, you know what, I might have a go at this. So yeah, we've got a controlled tyre and everybody thought it was going to cure all the problems, but as you say, when somebody's 20 kilos and, and you know, 20 centimetres taller than someone else and cuts through the air differently, comes out the corners differently, that's another factor you have to play in. So, yeah, the Ducati, the Ducati situation is worth looking at this year because they have, without, you know, being, no meaning no disrespect, they have shot themselves in the foot a few times, to me, over the years. And hopefully they won't do it this year because we want to see a fight to the end. Giorgio was quite interesting about it as well because he basically does say, you know, tall riders, small riders, heavy riders light riders they've just got to find a way to make the tyre work the tyre is a tool for them to be able to use and you've got to just try and be as fast as you can over 18 laps an hour gone it doesn't matter what tyre you have to use you've got to be able to find a way to do it he was also interested whenever he was talking about the intermediate tyres because I think that was probably the biggest surprise for everyone this weekend obviously MotoGP they got rid of the intermediate tyre a few years ago people weren't using it this was a race where it was the ideal tyre and I have to say, I was shocked that they were able to make that tyre last the whole race distance because there were only four or five seconds off dry weather times. It wasn't like you normally expect where at that stage that the tyre will just chew itself up and suddenly there's no grip. The pace was really impressive. Yeah, um, and that's what enters are for. They're supposed to last like a, a slick, but give the grip of a wet, more or less. That's the idea, that's the point of using them. The problem for Pirelli is that they, they haven't developed them for a while purely because people don't use them. They're trying to get the teams to use intermediates is, is almost impossible. They don't want to know. It's either, oh, it's drying, so I'll go slick, or it might rain again, I'm going to stay on the wets. And because of flag to flag, they've always got the option of doing something about it. So, it's very unusual to see the intermediates, but they obviously work. Um, and I believe they've had a fair amount of success in endurance racing, where the conditions can change hugely over 24 hours. Um, and all the people that I spoke to, certainly, that used them, were pleasantly surprised. So there's another tyre dynamic, not just the excess weekend, it's the intermediates. So I'm sure it's going to be an interesting conversation with Giorgio. Yeah, well, let's hear from Giorgio and have a listen to for what he says also about the input that Pirelli have with the teams for being able to make a decision on the tyres. So yesterday was the first race of the year. Usually we are in Australia, but the problem is always the same. 
Riders comes from a long winter, usually test a lot, a lot of spectacle, but never had really a comparison with all the others. So at the first session, they understand where really they are. <laughs> and so uh, they load the first race of a lot of thinking, but the result at the end is what's really is important. Remember last year when we started two events here in Aragon, completely different the first race from the last, the sixth one. The first race, everyone used the SE0. In the last race, everyone used the SEX. So that's the reason why we brought SE0 and SEX with it. <laughs> and actually, it was the right choice. If everything remained dry, then rain happened. What we really learned uh, this year in this place is uh, that this track has got a little grip in the wet condition. And when I, when I say wet, it's not down because uh, this afternoon, for instance, race two, we started with a track was wet. It was raining in Supersport. But Supersport used the intermediate. And who used the intermediate was in a better shape than who used the rain rare. And so I suggest immediately to all the teams is keep this experience. But the track is more wet than yesterday, even uh, than this morning. So we have to use the rain. No, no use the rain. Use the intermediate. So at the end, everyone follow us. <laughs> Lucky. And someone risk a little bit more. But it was a calculated risk, in my opinion, because Vandermark this morning shows that within a short race, it was so fast at the end with the lake. With five laps more, you, you could win the race. So Reading was very brave this afternoon to use the and Forger as well. Actually, did an incredible result. Was it a surprise though to see that the inters were so fast? Because for me, I thought for sure the tire would drop off, they would all have problems. Well, we, we know this is uh, all the fight I got uh, with the promoters. Flamini first, Dawn after, FIM, because they always ask us to quit the intermediate use, like they did in MotoGP. I'm insisting to use it because we know that in certain conditions this tire is incredible and very safe as well. Because today, with the rain tires, you cannot, you risk to not finish the race, but you risk to have a lot of sliding uh, after a certain number of laps. With the slicks, it seems impossible to race. So the intermediate is the right answer. And uh, in the history of these last uh, 18 years, we used just a few times. One race won by Chath, one race won by Keeley with intermediate ties. But to see really the value of this tie, you need the, the race. No one used these ties in a practice because they consider it a loss of time. Actually, in a race, if the condition are the right one, you can have a big advantage. Really. For Pirelli, when you were on the grid and when all of your team are on the grid, in a race like this, we always see engineers back and forth between their Pirelli guy mm -hmm. and everyone is talking. How much input does the tyre technician have on making a decision? Well, I got a few rules for the guys. Uh, we are always uh, giving suggestions to the team, starting from Thursday approach on the racetrack for the first session of Friday. We explain the range, we say what we would like to see, 
and then we face the condition. Till the last time, I, I give to my engineer the possibility to help uh, and suggest something to the teams. But before to starting, before the races, I told them, stop your judge on the team's uh, decisions. Riders and teams have to take the decision. Even it seems to us strange <laughs> because it's very, they got this possibility and they are in their hand all their moves. We, we gave them the range and they have to use it. Then after the race, we can explain them what we saw with all the others and bring the experience of the choice that could be like that. Clearly in condition like today, I suggest we go, we go on the pit lane a few minutes before the start of the moves because if they got the need to have information, they come 10 minutes before the superbike for uh, and uh, Johnny comes here. What do you think about intermediate? And we gave them our uh, think about. Then I pass on the pit lane and riders comes out. Cool. What do you have to do? Look at the racetrack. Some engineers do. Someone else not. It's a matter of their decision. We are there to able to give suggestions. It's always very difficult for any sole tire supplier because the only time that we really see the news about them is in a day like this when there can be big problems, there can be quite a, it can be a, a difficult day for everyone. But this was a day where, again, we saw yesterday, riders able to use the X and the mm -hmm. Zero, even the bigger riders. Yeah. Today, everyone was able to try different tires, even in the super sport, to see riders sure. go with a wet front and an intermediate rear, and all of them able to come in with roughly the same lap time. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was impressive to see the variety people could use. Yes, and is this kind of weekend are really ones in which we got a lot of data. We got a lot of feedback and we built the relationship with the riders, with the teams, because it's important. In the moment of crisis, we had to find us and talk with us. And then the trust you create is on the, the crisis moment. Obviously, this week, one of the big questions before the weekend was the X tire. Yes. Scott has been very vocal, saying this tire should be banned, it's not fair on the bigger riders. The smaller riders obviously say, no, it's a good tire. But where do, you, where do Pirelli stand on this? I don't think it's a matter of uh, uh, fin or cool riders. It's not a matter of uh, women or men, colored or white. Uh, riders are chosen by the teams. And, uh, they got a lot of good riders, Ducati, Yamaha, BMW. So they make their decision. If it's tall or uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they got a very good line of riders and very good teams, even private teams. Show Garrett, Charles. We saw very interesting things. <laughs> so the thing is, the STX, you know, born. Uh, as a tires to explain, uh, to give a chance uh, to the Super Bowl race. Because when Dorna and they of this race not all understand 
why we have to make a third race and a short one. Actually, the idea was quite brilliant. And so we decided to prepare the tires for this race in order to give a purpose. And uh, at the beginning, we, we broke just four tires just to see if my works for a short race. And we had the rules for one year with a uh, duration of, say, okay, Friday when the teams test the tire. If we see that we can make 10 laps, we say, okay, let's do it. If not, we will see, we will say, no, don't use it, use the standard one. Actually, the fact was that after a few races, people understand how to use in a short race, and someone start to use in a long race too. And long race, last year, the stars was used a lot of time. If you consider from Jerez, Estoril not because it was not so good for Estoril. I'm curious to see what will happen next week. Uh, but the part of this, they found a way to let it work. And uh, if you remember last year, sixth race, uh, we got third uh, uh, Scott with this time, then Toprak, on the market Toprak, not just uh, riders. <laughs> so I don't trust in this matter of the of the big or short rider. The fact is this tire has got its own way to work in a different condition, different bike, different style, different step, setup. It's one tool we gave to the team and they have to use it. Like the front, we gave, we gave this race four times. The, yesterday they used three. So they, they got a basket of solution, they have to use it. And if they are good to let it work for all the race, they have an advantage. But it's not a, a silly advantage. The medium, the hard, the soft are all the same. Not. So this is our job, in my opinion. We are not, we are in a control tire, not a control mono tire. <laughs> so we would like to give opportunities to the people. Actually, the X, we put in production the X after last year uh, season, we decided to bring on the market and it's, it's becoming something successful. In Italy, all the uh, cheap races, now they got the choice between X and uh, Zero and they are using the X. Now we are introducing BSB as well, in a German Championship as well, in a Spanish Championship. And the people like it because it's fast. It's a special tie, fast. So for sure we got a stronger, longer race than the national championship, stronger rider, bikes. But we saw last year the power of this tie. Sometimes you get half a second with a comparison of a 1-0. And if you remember a few years ago, we got in range SC0, SC1. But then SC0 becomes so good to cover all the season. So we need to go ahead in development and this means from our side to give more performance or give a task that works in certain condition in order to make the difference. And this is the X Misano. We will bring a new rail ties always in a soft area in order to enlarge again the possibility and the range for this condition. This is another year where Pirelli is a big supporter for the championship for 20 years. It's always been like this. Has the championship looked in better health at any point? It looks right now we've got a lot of good manufacturers, a lot of good riders. Yeah, well, I remember two years ago, uh, 
I told this is the bottom we can reach. But from this we can just recover. And in few years we saw uh, not only how much Kawasaki, Ducati, uh, Yamaha trust in a championship, increasing their participation, especially Yamaha making more teams. Uh, BMW and Honda comes back very strong. And today Yamaha, BMW shows that the new bike, the new hand bike is very good. Uh, Honda, for sure, since yesterday was quite interesting to see the progress they make. So, from this point of view, manufacturers are trusting in the championship. We got good riders now. The level of the teams uh, is in a, in a good average, and you saw some private teams comes close to the podium as well. So, yes, in my opinion, the, the championship is improving. And, uh, and growing, and the performance as well, the championship is quite interesting. You see the, the good life of championship, you can see even in a super sport. Super sport, it seems two years ago, a class without a future. No homologation, no bikes. While now we've got 28 riders. In Misano, we will have probably 36 riders. Good. 300 is an entry level, shows that it's very powerful. And these three classes are really healthy and they are helping the championship to stay. If we go ahead making races like in these two days. Welcome back to the Panic Pass podcast. Gordo, we're after hearing from Giorgio Barbier from Pirelli there about the challenge that the teams faced in Aragon. But uh, they faced more than just a weather challenge as well. This was, for me, probably the most competitive we've seen the championship in a long time. You've got five different manufacturers, all of them putting in a lot of resources. Coming into the season, the biggest question mark was probably about BMW. Tom Sykes qualifies in the front row. His pace was really good during race one. And then in the, in the Super Bowl race, obviously Michael Vandermark takes a flyer. He's the only one out there in slick tires. But in race two, we saw Sykes and Vandermark both very strong, coming away with top five finishes. It bodes well for BMW, even if this was a fairly unique race weekend. Yes, we were all thinking mm, BMW is still not quite ready and it could be a factor of the conditions and so on and the experience of the riders and so on. But that was a much better start than some people thought they might have. I think Estoril, now I'm talking about Lowe's and Kawasaki and how he's going to go, I think Estoril in the next few races will be exactly where BMW are. But as a start, that was good. And it wasn't just one rider, it was it was more than one. Um, and even Fogger had a good ride uh, in the final race as well. So yeah, the, 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 the engine is certainly much faster than last year. They have done a lot of detail work, all based around racing. Um, and it seems to be paying off. Whether it reaches the level of consistency of a Kawasaki or power or straight line speed of the Ducati and so on, go through the field to check the other bikes out as, as good as it turn as well as the Yamaha, there still seems to be some issue in the back end. The riders are all talking about back end performance. I think more going in than coming out from, they're trying to not tell you, but it seems to be it's going in as an issue. And they're all saying that all, all the four. So that's where they can improve. And if they can improve it to the point whereby it becomes a non-issue, yeah, I think they're, they're, all the tools are there. And it's just a case of building, building, building through the year. I think it was really interesting that in the course of the winter tests, all the riders obviously complained about the front end on the entry into the corners. They were really struggling at the break point to have any level of confidence to push really hard. In the winter test of Catalonia especially, Folger was using the standard frame, not quite as stiff as what the factory boys were using. 
obviously in the wet conditions you soften everything down as much as you can for the suspension and you try and just generate some sort of grip but for Michael Vandermark in particular we saw that he was an absolute demon on the brakes in the wet conditions and the, the intermediate conditions as they made that a little bit softer I thought it was quite interesting just to see how much confidence he had in those conditions to be able to be very aggressive with everyone it was tough to make moves on him Yes, um, and again at the beginning of the weekend it wasn't looking that great for him so he obviously found something from somewhere um, it's interesting to think how he's a new guy in the team um, and they've got a new bike so that's two new things together but maybe and certainly because of the conditions and everything else probably he was finding out things about that bike in the race situation and I think it was Alex also said that you could see smoke coming off the tyre when he was coming out of corners so I think he was getting pretty aggressive on it there as well when a rider can do that in those kind of conditions they've obviously got a level of confidence and I don't just mean in himself they have to be confident that well, it's actually, I'm asking it questions and it's giving me the right answers I'll go a bit more um, so it was, no, it was, it, that is a, a good sign as well that the new rider who's ridden different bikes in the past and the Yamaha's a bit different because of the engine configuration and so on has just come in and went you know got a good result I thought it was really good as well we saw obviously real close racing in that pack for second during race two obviously Vandermark Sykes Ray Lowe's all of them having to work really hard to make overtaking moves on each other. In race one, we saw something similar as well. Obviously, Lowe's had a front tyre issue in race one, had to drop back, find a little bit of little bit of clear air, cool down that tyre a little bit, and then really collect himself to battle with top rack. But we saw over the course of those battles that right now we've got so many closely matched riders and teams and bikes that the racing was fantastic. You needed to have a lot of racecraft now, which maybe wasn't the case a few years ago. Yes, absolutely. Um, and... Maybe the conditions helped that, but we saw some proper racing. People were remembering going back to their early years there where they had to just barge a little bit and push a little bit and not be scared. And also, Tom Sykes coming through, usually it's the other way around. And that was very interesting to see, you know. it's a, He's a complex character, Tom. Um, but that was kind of, oh, what's he going to do when he catches them? And of course, he passed a few of them. So it was great to see the scrap and that's what, if there's one thing this championship sometimes is accused of missing is the fights between the riders and it's partly because of the nature and the level of the bikes in the championship. You know, somebody's got their bike better, their bike working better than the other guy, then the results finished. It's, it's easier to go to have closer races when everybody's on a, the same level. Um, and this championship, okay, allows you to have the same level, but because there's technical changes, if you get used better than the other guy, you're just going to beat him, and you'll just do that tenth or second of lap, so there's no fights. So, no, it's great to see that everybody's get, would, had their elbows out at the weekend, and hopefully we'll have a lot more of that. Even if someone ends up leading the championship or one rider runs away at the front, we want to see the top guys in a fight, not just the guys from 10th to 12th fighting for one point. Well, this was one of those ones, Gordo, where obviously enough, after the first two races, you already start to hear, oh, same old thing in World Superbikes, Johnny Ray going out and winning races. Johnny's going to win races. There's no doubt about that. Over the course of a season, we've got, you know, 13 rounds, 39 races. Johnny's going to win 9, 10 races any given year anyway. But I thought it was good that he had to work hard. I thought it was good that we had to see why he's won six world championships, you know, and this was this was competitive racing. Like I said earlier, Estoril's going to be a real test because we know that Yamaha are going to be strong there. Last year, Toprak and Garrett Gerloff were very strong there, Michael Vandermark as well. So it does bode quite well that next weekend we're actually going to have close racing again. We're going to have something a little bit different at the front. Absolutely, and that's going to come very soon. We're, we're going, not going to any rest. We're going straight there. We'll be leaving very shortly to go to the to catch a flight. And Some watch you got there as well. Go I on. know, fantastic. You can see well, there's a new Apple Invisible watch. Um, 
But no, if I, it's it's I'm really looking forward to SRL just because it's such a contrast. It's a totally different racetrack, and that is going to show us where everybody really is. If we've still got the same level of competitiveness, and say we get hot conditions all weekend then we're really in for a... We know we're in for a mega season. I'm keen to see what happens as well because Estoril last time was obviously the first time we'd gone there. The free practice sessions on Friday, free practice one, everyone's trying to just find their feet, make sure they've got the right gear ratios, figure out the shift pattern, all this kind of thing. And then FP2 is when they started to try and make some improvements. You go into FP3, it was really cold conditions because it was 8.45 in the morning. And then suddenly you went into the Super Bowl session. Scott had a big crash. And then almost immediately after that, Johnny had a big crash. So they were on the back foot all the way through the weekend and now we get to see whether or not there's been changes made, whether or not it was quite reflective of what we'll actually see this weekend. So I think this this week in Estoril is going to be potentially quite different to what we had last year. Yes, and it's we're starting the season there, we're not at the end of the season where everybody's used to everything. We're, we're going to a, a very different track from Aragon uh, with the second race in and no time to go away and think about it much. We're all travelling and, and paperwork and God knows what you've got to do now. So... It's going to, it might be a bit messy to start. I think the first couple of day, couple of sessions might be a little bit messy for people. We saw Johnny wasn't great on the, the, the very early, but that's because obviously they had something they had to re-modify. Um, so yeah, how people start might have something to do with it, but only if we get consistent three days of weather. If we get a change or a cooling or a heat or whatever, then I think it will bring things closer together again. Obviously enough as well, Gordo, this is going to be this is a big weekend for the other championships as well. We saw in World Supersport, Cluzel, Nicky Tooley would have crashed from race one. Randy Krimenacker really struggled through the weekend. It was a surprise. But we saw really close racing again in the three in the 600 class. Stephen Odendal able to pick up both race wins, showed the strength of the Bartle bikes again. Top speed, really impressive. But, you know, Supersport actually looks very different this year. It looks an awful lot more competitive. Yes, and the two very successful riders have left at the same time. So there's a great big hole of opportunity there for almost anybody. Most of the riders are on Yamahas now. Um, the the technical level, yes, the Bardell bikes are always well put together and they, they're always going to be there or thereabouts. Um, but it's a very open championship this year. And we saw De Rosa, who uh, went on a, a secondary Kawasaki. Tell you what, I was, I was heartbroken for De Rosa. Someday it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, what's it, what's it, what's, he's got to get a win sometime. It's a sin. But he, he did so well to come through. And again, tyres. He chose, I believe... A wet front and an inter-rear. Wet front and inter-rear, which seemed to be the right thing. So he kept his drive, but he still had the feel from the front in the wet. And, and he, but that's not the official bikes. That's not the Pachetti bikes he's on. That's, that's you know, a secondary bike. So, one, conditions, but De Rosa's obviously shown, I mean, that, that can't not be a confidence booster for anybody, even given the conditions and tyres and everything else. And we had an absolute scrap in that race on Sunday. The last lap was like, who's going to win this? We just didn't know. And it was literally, you know, if, if De Rosa had waited maybe five metres to tap on and went about, maybe he would have been able to do it. But he tapped on a wee bit early, had a little slide, went a bit wide, and then that was it. It wasn't going to happen. But Supersport is wide open. It usually is. But it's absolutely wide open this year. Last year was obviously Locatelli just went. But I think that's the most open class there is. 300s, you can say it's open all the time, but it's not. You might get one kid that does a podium and then 12th, 20th, and five crashes. You can't really tell there. Consistently, this class is wide open for somebody who's got a good bike and a good team they could be world champion this year. There's no certainties 
there are favourites, but there's no certainties in that class whatsoever. Yeah, 300 was interesting this weekend. Obviously, we had a red flag. Tom Booth Amos had been leading across the line. The red flag comes out, loses out in that win. Finished second in race two, it looked like. Then a penalty elevates him up to the race win. So he ended up where he should have won, really. You know, one first and a second. But you mentioned there about DeRosa as well. I'm just going to finish off just one question for you about Chaz Davis as well. We saw Davis went with the wet front and the inter-rear crashed on lap one in race two. It was it was disappointing because he had given himself a really good foundation in the opening two races at the weekend, and now suddenly he's that little bit on the back foot heading into Astoril. Yes, um, it, and Friday it just looked fantastic. You know, he was right there. He was chilled, relaxed, speaking positively about the team. And again, just as the, a millisecond in race, and the, uh, the weekend ended up fairly badly. Um, I mean, Chaz always said he was never going to ride as a privateer or an independent after he'd been all the factory. He's just not going to become world champion that way. Um, but he's got all the tools at hand. Goal 11 obviously put, allowed Ronaldo to win last year. The Ducati are seem to be right behind him. Um, but it did end up a bit of a damp squib. So I think of all the people that are going to want to have a good Estoril, Chaz might be the number one because Reading caught back up again a bit to Johnny. He's not too far behind. The, those three guys are the... the dominated those three those positions are all in good good shape Chaz is further back than he thought he would be in the championship I mean for round one we get loads to go but I think he'll be the one that's most keen to, to especially given what happened for him last year to make a real statement coming up to Estoril and he's got the set up to do it you mentioned Reading there as well Gordo just to finish off the show obviously Scott very brave to go with the slick option for race two but we saw how frustrated he was at the end of the Super Bowl race as well even during the race you saw him shaking his head shaking his arms he, he looked visibly upset on the bike that he had chosen the wrong tyres and instead of what you know we've seen someone like Johnny do over the years just dig in get what you can it looked like it just got a little bit too much for Scott he's always an emotive rider but it looked like probably just a little bit too much emotion coming out well you didn't know you didn't need to ask him at the end of the race what he was thinking. You could see it in his head shakes and his, his, his elbow flapping and stuff. He, he wasn't happy. And I think he knew as soon as he started that it was just the wrong choice, which is why he was so adamant that he was going to have his choice on Sunday. And it was his choice to go with the slicks on Sunday. Um, but that's just him. It's part of his nature and his character. I don't think he gave up. I think he just didn't have a drive. He could have went harder and crashed and ended up with zero points. You know, what, he'd have had absolutely nothing and maybe hurt himself. So... I think he took his anger out visibly, but I think he, you know, he got at home as probably as best as he could do. All these HTP guys take every point going. They're trained to do it. If they didn't do it, they wouldn't be riding in MotoGP, and he was there for years and years. So I think he's he's such a he's such a character, and you see that character coming out of the bike. But it's just the way Scott is. We've just gotten our boarding call now as well, Gordo. So it's time to head to Estoril for the next round of the championship. Obviously enough. For us, we'll be recording another podcast after Estoril. The plan this year, record post-race that we're able to get as much info as possible. A little bit different with the schedule this year, so we're able to actually make it a little bit easier. But obviously enough as well, next week's a MotoGP week, so there's the Italian Grand Prix from Mugello. So at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast, you can check out Paddock Notes. And for all of our Paddock insiders, you'll be able to get an update throughout the weekend from Dave, from Adam, from Neil. And I might try and jump on one of the days, but it's obviously going to be tricky for us with the superbike races. But uh, obviously the Paddock Pass podcast comes thick and fast at this stage whenever there's back-to-back races, the Superbike season starting up. So we're going to be pretty busy over the next week while it's say, Gordo. Great. As we've started. I've been sitting at home too long. We've started and it's going and I'm so looking forward to it. I can't, I can't wait to get there still. 
Yeah, it was great to kick off the season in Aragon. We kicked it off with great races. And until the next time in the Paddock Pass podcast, South Steve English and Gordo Ritchie, we're just getting ready for round two at this point. Thank you, Steve. Tell me what it's like in first class when you get on the plane, okay? Oh, yeah. I, what? You turn right. I'm in a hold. <laughs> this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. I give good Sasquatch. Gordino with his Cortado. Can it be a Cortado?